This is the fourth podcast in my series on the Apostle Paul. In the last podcast, I was talking about Paul. Of course, he was Shaul at that time. And when Yeshua confronted him on the road to Damascus, he went into the city of Damascus and was healed of his blindness. But nobody would listen to him. Christian believers were afraid of him because he had been sent from Jerusalem to take Christian believers back to Jerusalem to be tried and, and punished very severely. And the Jews just thought the Messiah was supposed to come to create God's kingdom and defeat the Romans. And, and what happened was he was crucified. That couldn't have been the Messiah. Paul, he now calls himself Paul, he thought of himself as a prophet. And he, he cited from Jeremiah, whose words were, I am this prophet that God has sent. He has sent to the Gentiles. And Paul believes that he's also been sent to the Gentiles. And then he also cites the story of Elijah, because Elijah was so agonized over, God, I'm this prophet, but nobody's listening to me. So Elijah went to Mount Sinai. And so that's another reason why I think Paul went to Mount Sinai. We don't know what happened there at Mount Sinai. It doesn't tell us. But I assume that God would have told him to go back to Damascus because that's exactly what he did. He returned to Damascus. So I'll call him Paul now. Paul probably turned to God in a manner he knew well by using methods of Midrash to search the scriptures for answers to his agonizing questions. Now li listen to the questions. If Yeshua was the promised Messiah, why did he have to suffer and die? What is the meaning of his resurrection from the dead? Why did God call Paul to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles? How was Paul supposed to carry out this mission? Why were the Jews responding with hostility? Why were Christian believers responding to his message with fear? How could Paul convince them that he was now a believer in Christ with a calling to minister to the Gentiles? Paul must have been inundated with agonizing questions. He would have turned to the Hebrew scriptures to uncover the answers from the depth, which is what Midrash does, and what the, the he was a Pharisee, and that's what the Pharisees did. They used these methods of Midrash to uncover depth of meaning that hadn't been exposed before. Now, given the turmoil of unanswered questions, God may have instructed Paul to return to Damascus, which I think he probably did, despite the fragile reception of his message there, because Paul was not yet ready to meet with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He would eventually have to introduce himself to Peter and the other apostles. Peter was the head of the church at that time. Since Paul considered himself an apostle, one that God was sending on a specific mission, but how was he going to convince the Christian leaders that he was an apostle? So before meeting with the other apostles, Paul would first need to answer his own questions. It would undoubtedly be the same questions that would confront him in Jerusalem. Damascus offered enough distance from Jerusalem to buffer him from an intense scrutiny from the Christian leadership in Jerusalem. When Paul finally did go to Jerusalem three years later, he informs us, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Another contributing reason for Paul's remaining in Damascus for so long may have been his need to master a trade. He was an itinerant apostle to the Gentiles, would require a skill that was both mobile and sufficiently in demand to financially support his anticipated travels. We learn from his 
letters that he worked as a manual laborer, a craftsman called a tent maker. He had been trained in the school of Gamliel and was considered one of the top Jewish leaders, and then to fall into becoming working with his hands as a tent maker. This is exactly what he did. And and the reason, of course, was that it, it would give him an opportunity to make money as he traveled to sustain his travels. Latin documents attest to a tent maker's association. These craftsmen use linen, canvas, and leather to construct such items as sails, tents, canvas roofs for wagons, leather harnesses for field animals, and leather articles of clothing such as sandals, belts, and cloaks. The only tools required were an awl for piercing material, curved needles, and a a moon-shaped knife, and waxed thread. So it was very easy for him to carry the tools of his trade. After three years in Damascus, Paul fled the city for his life, or perhaps to avoid imprisonment. Both Luke and Paul agree that he escaped from some hostile group, although the reason for his flight in the two accounts is hard to harmonize. Luke asserts that it was the Jews who conspired to kill Paul and kept watch at the city gates. You remember he was let down over the city wall in a basket because he couldn't go out through the gates. However, Paul explains in the New Testament that the governor under King Aretas had the city guarded in order to arrest him. The recent tendency in scholarship has been to question Luke's account because of its seemingly anti-Jewish agenda and to favor Paul's autobiographical comments about the hostile government authorities. Historical identification of King Aretas is unclear, but several theories have emerged. One, again, is that Nabataean theory, which places Paul in the Arabian kingdom of Nabatea during the three years before he went to Jerusalem. This proposal further suggests that after Paul's return to Damascus from his travels in Nabatea, the Roman authorities may have expelled the Nabataeans and Paul along with them. But one thing is certain, both Luke and Paul portray an aggressor guarding the city gates to prevent Paul's escape. Consider for a moment the viability of Luke's explanation of hostility from the Jews, which I I lean toward that interpretation. Although Paul does not dwell on aggression from non-believing Jews, as Luke does, his autobiographical references are not silent. To the Corinthians, Paul identifies Jews as inflicting on him 40 lashes minus one. The authority in this case would have been the synagogue, which had the power to excommunicate. Such actions from the Jewish community could make individual lives a misery by harassment and threats. Although only the Roman government had the power to administer the death penalty, death by stoning was a Jewish custom, and Stephen had been stoned in Jerusalem. Paul recounts an attempt on his life by stoning as well, that later on during his travels. Uh, One author suggests that such a death, although uncommon under Roman rule, could occur as a result of mob action, especially where Roman rule was not particularly strong. And I think that is what may have occurred at the time of Stephen, was the mob, and possibly here also in Damascus, which is not a comfortable thought. Now the story gets really interesting. 
because as Paul journeyed from Damascus to Jerusalem, his reception by Christian believers whom he encountered on the way would likely have been the same fear that Ananias had exhibited earlier, because he hadn't witnessed outside of Damascus. Paul tells us that the churches in Judea knew little about him. They had only heard, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. As Paul approached Jerusalem, he explains his single-minded purpose. I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter. Why did he seek out Peter? The discrepancy between Luke's account and Paul's own words has generated several suggestions. But one scenario seems to fit the perspective of our earlier surmising about Paul in Damascus and Arabia. Paul's sense of apostleship would have required in his mind a connection to the church leaders in Jerusalem. It is only surprising that he did not seek this relationship earlier, given his strong sense of calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. The other apostles were all in Jerusalem. They had been also been called by the Lord to follow a specific calling. Paul would eventually have to meet with the church leaders, since a tradition of submitting to religious leadership was in Paul's Jewish heritage. He would have had no sense of going off on his own or starting a new religion. He would have sought a relationship with the other apostles, the leaders of Christ's church in Jerusalem. If Paul's goal was to seek out the Christian leaders and convince them of his calling as an apostle, it is understandable that he first appeared at the doorstep of Peter who was the recognized leader of the Christian community at that time. But what could Paul offer to convince Peter and the church leaders of bestowing on him the authority that would accompany a position of apostleship, for heaven's sakes? How impudent would that suggestion have sounded? Given his history of persecuting the Christians, Paul would have needed more than the single account of his vision of Jesus and the subsequent miracle of healing. If Christians from Damascus had accompanied him to verify his ministry there, that testimony might have been sufficient. But Paul seems to have appeared in Jerusalem alone, where he spent 15 days in seclusion with Peter. As these two towering Christians, Peter and Paul, engaged in what must have been intense and deep discussion from Scripture, Paul had what he thought was sufficient evidence to justify his apostleship and his call to preach to the Gentiles. He had searched the Hebrew scriptures, and he had three years to do it, for answers to his questions, and he must have felt ready to expound his understanding from scripture. But surprisingly, Paul informs us that he did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, James would later emerge as the leader of the believers in Christ, and Peter must have asked James to join the discussion with Paul. But why did Peter and James hesitate to call in the other apostles, or to announce to the Christian community in Jerusalem that Paul would be one of their apostle leaders, or even to introduce him as a new brother in Christ? What was the reaction of Peter and James to Paul, and what was their ultimate decision. Paul simply tells us in an offhand comment, oh, 
I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. But Luke may have captured Paul's frustration and distress. Luke reports that the brethren brought him down to Caesarea. That's a port, um, Roman port city on the Mediterranean, and sent him away to Tarsus. Tarsus was his home. That's where he had come from. They sent him away from Jerusalem, away from the Christian leadership and away from the center of Christian believers. The brethren even accompanied him to the port of Caesarea to make certain that he left the land of Israel. They sent him home to Tarsus, the capital city of Cilicia. Paul did not revisit the leaders in Jerusalem for 14 years. When he did return, he submitted himself again to church leadership, to the scrutiny of the Jerusalem council under the leadership of James. He brought evidence that he submitted to the Christian leaders to support his claim of apostleship. As he and Barnabas approached Jerusalem, they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, because Paul during this time, of course, had been out preaching to the Gentiles, and they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived in Jerusalem on that second visit, the contrast to Paul's reception on his first visit is striking. Paul and Barnabas were, and this is what we're told in Acts, were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they, Paul and Barnabas, reported all that God had done with them. In the gathering of the church leaders at the Jerusalem Council, Paul would have argued both from Scripture and from his experiences in order to refute certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who claimed it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So this had become the two basic discussions of conflict. Should the Gentiles have to be circumcised? And did they need to know the law? Although there are many gaps in the narrative of the 14 years between these two visits to Jerusalem. We can surmise that Paul spent the time in two ways. Number one, he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And number two, he continued to search the scriptures as questions about Gentile reception of the gospel emerged from his experiences. But first, Paul had to travel where the Christian brethren were sending him. That was to Tarsus. Now, and I'm kind of going back now. I, I, I moved forward 14 years. Now I'm going back to when, you know, he first went to Jerusalem. Peter and, and James said, we got to get rid of him. He's, he's a troublemaker. So they sent him off to Tarsus, back to his home, to his family and to his Jewish community. He was not returning home as an important religious leader of the Jews, which his family and neighbors would have expected after his study with Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He was returning as a disreputable member of, it's called the way in the Bible, which is referring to the, the Christian community. The leaders of that Jewish Christian sect had apparently dismissed Paul from Jerusalem a new crisis had emerged in Paul's life. And this story is just fascinating. So I'm going to stop here, and I will join you in the next podcast.